tuned into this episode of Pacey Performance Bite Size. So this clip comes from Alistair McBurney and Tom DeSantos, who featured in episode 380, all around deceleration. So how you can enhance deceleration qualities and abilities in the gym and also complement that with drills on the field. So before we dive into this episode with Alistair and Tom, I want to say a big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today. So if you want a simple and free solution to collect, analyze and visualize data to present to coaches, check out AMS Lite from Rock Daisy. But Tom, just Alistair mentioned it there right at the end in terms of developing the qualities needed for good deceleration ability in the gym. When people look towards that, what should people be focusing on based on what we've just spoken about for the last 45 minutes? Yeah, so uh, I think it'll be very similar to probably change the direction, especially when we think about that angle velocity trade-off again. So we kind of think the shallower change directions be more velocity dominant, maybe a bit more concentric and reactive strength dominant, whereas particularly anything 60 degrees, 90 degrees and above, probably a bit more of eccentric strength training focused. So in terms of physically preparing athletes, we like to think about specific musculature and segments that we want to target and then maybe think about the underlying physical qualities and strength qualities. So if I go maybe discuss maybe the musculature first and then maybe some particular physical qualities and training methods. So in terms of probably nothing revolutionary, but it should be like a mixed multi-component and multi-segmental model. It's not just one specific area, one training modality that I think is going to bulletproof our athletes for these high intensity actions. And I think the kind of the training recommendations that myself and Alistair will go through are probably applicable, not only for deceleration, but change direction, curvilinear speed, acceleration, high speed running. So trunk control, if we work maybe up and work our way down, trunk control is going to be a massive, uh, trunk contains approximately half of the body's mass and that needs to be supported typically on one limb when we're doing these deceleration and change of direction actions. And we need good control in the frontal plane and the sagittal plane. So there's a lot of evidence showing that <clears throat> from a change of direction perspective anyway, lateral trunk flexion is going to increase like our knee valgus moments because we get a laterally directed a ground reaction force vector that increases the moment arm and subsequently increases loading. So frontal plane trunk control be massive. Uh, technique modification training. So it's just basically good cueing and good coaching our athletes, telling our athletes to adopt a bit more of a neutral trunk posture, make sure in the correct alignment. I know some people have used medicine balls to try and reinforce optimal trunk alignment. I think Ender King and some of the people at the sports surgery clinic have shown that to be quite effective. Our dynamic trunk stability exercises and balance training has also been shown to be quite effective at improving frontal plane and transverse trunk plane trunk control. In terms of probably correcting sagittal plane and avoiding anterior trunk displacement, probably the opposing muscle groups on the posterior aspect. So a lot of our kind of maybe erector spine, our glute max, so exercises targeting that sort of trunk control, reinforcing that bracing and again, instructing our athletes to try and avoid excessive forward trunk lean when we're decelerating and performing these change direction actions and there's also evidence showing like these deficits in trunk control can increase acl injury risk and have been prospectively shown to increase acl injury risk so kind of maybe correcting that multi-segmental model focusing on correcting that anterior pelvic tilt getting that dynamic trunk stability in the sagittal and frontal plane seems to be key 
then because from the biomechanical aspect during these decels and change directions we create these large like hip flexor moments and well externally applied knee flexor and hip flexor moments so they need to be supported and counteracted with a internal hip extensor and knee extensor so again the musculature around the glutes and external hip rotator strengthening is going to be key to tolerate those large hip flexor moments try and resist that change in hip flexion essentially but also it's going to be key in terms of frontal plane control particularly of the femur so again there's evidence showing that a knee valgus can increase uh, knee valgus loading but like a two degree difference can increase the torque by around about 40 newton meters 40 newton meters sorry and <clears throat> by having high levels of gluteal activation can resist and oppose and support that potential knee valgus loading and preventing that knee valgus position so that will be key from that perspective but it's also key for facilitating breaking if we start going on to the anterior aspect so if we, the quadricep strengthening is going to be key particularly for those eccentric muscle actions and to support those large external knee flexor moments so we get an internal knee extensor moment so we have high levels of quadricep activation but we have this kind of performance injury trade-off so we need quadriceps for the breaking aspect and we need them for the propulsive aspect if we wanted to go and re-accelerate and perform a change of direction however if we don't have high levels of co-activation of the hamstrings this can increase our anterior tibial shear so again i'm going to focus on aco injuries because i love aco injuries <laughs> but it's kind of like a multi uh, multi-planar mechanism so we get our anterior tibial shear, which can result in this anterior tibial translation of the tibia relative to the femur. That seems to be one of the primary contributors of ACL loading. If we get this aggressive quadricep activation at these extended knee postures, typically we're within kind of 0 to 40 degrees, where the quadriceps insert to, we can get this anterior tibial translation. So although we do need, I'm not saying we we avoid high levels of quadricep activation we, we do need it but we need to make sure we get high levels of co-activation of the hamstrings as well hamstrings are biarticular originate into in the pelvis and the certain into different aspects of the tibia and the fibula but their role is to prevent that anterior tibial translation to try and oppose and create that posterior shear force and again there's lots of evidence showing that having weaker hamstrings and fatigued hamstrings can increase ACL loading, some musculoskeletal modeling showing that. So although we do need high levels of quadricep activation, we need to make sure we're getting high levels of co-activation of the hamstrings as well. And that could be a whole range of different fast eccentric velocity exercises, slow velocity exercises, isometric, eccentric, and even potentially some concentric uh, strengthening exercises as well. If we move down the limbs, so we've focused on the knee and the hip there in the trunk. <laughs> the whole debate around the gastrocnemius, but the gastrocnemius is a kind of antagonist to the ACL can, and can increase ACL loading. There's some evidence showing that we need to increase soleus activation, particularly around the ankle. Kind of the ankle acts like a kind of dampener and a shock absorber for our decelerations and our change directions. So although we need that quadriceps, some people argue that soleus activation is key. How you go about isolating soleus without getting gastrocnemius would be quite difficult. I probably don't have the, the answers there. Uh, probably some more intelligent people might be able to answer that. And then we also have a kind of like our intrinsic foot stabilizer muscles and our kind of perennial muscles as well to try and prevent those excessive inversion angular velocities because lateral ankle sprains are kind of a co common injury mechanism during these decel and change of direction actions. So kind of specific exercises target kind of like ankle stability and foot stability so they're kind of the key muscles and musculature that we want to target i'm not saying that this is the right wrong way to go about it it's a whole different 
range of methods. My whole philosophy about transfer is training is focus on the adaptation that we're trying to elicit. I'm not going to say we must do Olympic lifts or must do this. As long as you've got a rationale behind your exercise and we're trying to elicit some sort of musculoskeletal or mechanical biological adaptation, that's key. So we do, in terms of reducing risk, we're trying to reduce those high-risk deficits that are linked to the potential to generate multiplanar knee joint load. So any frontal plane deficits such as knee valgus, tibia rotation, lateral frontal plane trunk control. There's, again, this is quite a performance injury trade-off. We need athletes to generate high-impact ground reaction forces, but they need to be able to tolerate them. So having athletes physically robust enough, there seems to be this emphasis now in shifting away from kind of injury prevention, but more focus on physical robustness to tolerate these loads. So again, to tolerate these potentially hazardous knee joint loads in particular is increasing muscular support around about the knee spanning, non-knee spanning muscles around glutes, uh, around about the hip, uh, around the knee as well, the quadriceps and the hamstrings and the lower limb as well. And they can support in some of that loading. By mechanically loading these structures, we are to stimulate some musculoskeletal adaptations and hopefully strengthen those tissues so they're more robust to tolerate them. And what Alistair alluded to before in terms of reducing injury risk is that careful monitoring and sequencing and periodization of these high impact activities. So getting into these advancements in technology, we're monitoring a number of axles and high speed running. There seems to be this kind of sweet spot, not too much, not too little in terms of high speed running. I think, was it Malone? kind of identify maybe six to seven sprints of nine to of 95 percent and above we just don't know from a change of direction and deceleration perspective but we encourage practitioners to monitor hopefully these proxies of acl and lower limb loading and probably try to avoid these rapid spikes maybe 10 to 20 percent on a week to week and then you've got the development of the kind of perceptual cognitive abilities as well so if we can start identifying some of these cues a bit earlier so we can make some anticipatory postural adjustments and get these high levels of pre-activation this again should hopefully dissipate some of the loads uh, probably not kind of a debatable area whether it's a strength conditioning coach's job to work on perceptual cognitive speed i would encourage people to work with a kind of motor skill expert but i suppose it comes down to work with the skills coach the motor skills experts to try and identify working as perceptual cognitive speed so we can identify these cues earlier put us in a position to make these anticipatory postural adjustments earlier give us the physical affordances to hopefully adopt these kind of safer and more mechanically robust strategies to reduce loading and optimize performance uh damien harper's we've been working with damien he's calling it i think the is it the dynamic break in performance framework, Alistair? And we're a big believer of multi, a multi-component mo- model. So not a one-size-fits-all, but including some drunk stabilization, balance. Uh, plyometric training is a very good transferable exercise uh, for not only for improving performance, but improving lower limb control and neuromuscular activity patterns, but also get some eccentric strength development. In the weight room, I would encourage a multitude of different exercises that focus on all aspects of the force velocity curve. So having some fast eccentric velocity exercises, whether that's through plyometric training, maybe some iso-inertial training or some kind of more coordinate overload, some more slower eccentric velocity exercises, whether that's more AEL, accentuated eccentrics, or I don't know, maybe some Nordic curls, for example, or just 
increasing time under attention and tempo training. I probably encourage people to read the work of Tim Suckerwell. He's done a two-part review. Uh, not my area of expertise, but yeah, I know you've interviewed Alex Natera and Daniel Lum. A big emphasis on isometric training at the moment, particularly if we could try and mimic some of the postures in deceleration and change direction. However, we probably do need to target particularly that kind of triple flexion position in a range of different postures because the greater the angle of change direction, you typically go through greater range of hip and knee flexion as well. So you probably need maybe a 140 degree angle, maybe a 120 degree and a maybe a 90 degree angle with different postures. And I know they're bad like advocates of yielding and kind of pushing isometrics. Uh, I, I don't know too much about that. But I think I encourage listeners to probably listen to them, but I, I think they're Keep really plugging, Tom. Keep advice. plugging. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and your sports sportsmith <laughs> articles uh, some great reads yeah. in there but yeah i think you can elicit some very good tendon adaptations and get something hopefully quite non-fatiguing uh positive tissue adaptations as well in kind of those sports specific postures whether it's unilateral or a split position and then reactive strength qualities that we could target in the weight room our typical ballistic training our olympic lifts not only during the propulsive phase, but whenever we, de we decelerate the barbell, not going into a debate whether we need to catch or just do the pulling variations. However, if you just do the pulling variations, arguably you get a nice fast eccentric loading as well when we have to decelerate the bar. So that could be a really good method as well. And just your generic uh, tissue conditioning and your general resistance training, your back squats, deadlifts, targeting those key segments that I target before. And then just finally, uh, I've talked for ages about this, focus on movement quality essentially movement is a skill these injuries occur due to some sort of kind of biomechanical limitation that's increased load into that specific joint or structure so trying to optimize the technical characteristics that maximize performance but also potentially mitigate injury risk there is a performance injury trade-off associated with some of the techniques but we've shown that in as little as six weeks we can modify athletes technique during cutting and turning by giving some externally directed verbal cues and introducing these in the field whether it's part of a field-based warm-up i don't buy that athletes uh, coaches say they haven't got time to throw this type of training into their training programs before every technical tactical session if you do a warm-up with one of our interventions it was just a warm-up based intervention uh, from a deceleration training perspective i do think we do need some interventions looking at enforced stopping as a fast eccentric velocity training method but also as a strategy to reinforce these optimal mechanics if we want our athletes to move well we need to practice the skill of decelerating and change the direction in pre-planned environments but we can get onto that later if you, if you want absolutely yeah can i just can i just add to that Tom, as well um i think i think you you emphasize a great deal almost that we really believe that the fast eccentric loading component of specific horizontal decelerations in the field is a really key and potentially potent stimulus and I think we can talk about the gym-based strategies which obviously should work in harmony with the field-based athletic development strategies so I think you can't just decide right I'm going to focus on all these eccentric training methods in the gym and that will create super robust resilient athletes i think you also need to make sure that they are specifically applying all these um elements in in field-based drills um we've got uh, a library of different um drill examples that we can provide uh obviously targeting in multiple planes as well because we're not just deceleration not just decelerating 
in the sagittal plane. Uh, change of direction maneuvers occur uh, in, in, you know, it's a 360 degree, um, sorry, 180 degree from both sides. So it's it's something that you, you need to make sure that you're exposing them in the sagittal plane, the frontal plane, the sagittal, um, the transverse plane. Um, and yeah, so you, you kind of, you've got this point where it's, it's almost a, a harmony of the gym-based programming and the field-based programming to to kind of get the the adaptations that you want. And I think there's some really good work by Chris Bellin, uh, who's looked into kind of um, how you periodize this these elements over the long term. Um, I think it was a PhD thesis. I don't know if he's actually released much uh, in terms of research, but uh, I remember having a good read of it. And he basically talks about using the short to long approach of acceleration development, um, kind of the pioneer of that is being Charlie Francis, but talking about seamless sequential integration, whereby we are developing uh, shorter acceleration distances first and foremost in the training cycle, and working alongside that are the gym-based methods that actually provide the foundation for the subsequent phase. So as an athlete is then starting to be exposed to greater acceleration distances, they have the prerequisite physical strength and power qualities to to almost harness that to to optimum effect and I think you can you can see how that would theoretically apply to horizontal deceleration training so if we were to kind of develop these um, the foundationally centric strength qualities alongside the pitch based stuff which might be at this point a bit more of a technical focus making sure that we're getting the right positions in both the sagittal and uh, frontal plane and then you know you know methods might be uh, flywheel training or tempo eccentric uh, training, but then using them found or developing them foundational eccentric strength qualities for the subsequent phase, to which then you might actually open up the distances. Uh, we use deceleration runways a lot, which is where you can almost increase the 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 drill distance or the approach velocity before actually making a more intense horizontal deceleration. And by having the prerequisite eccentric strength qualities that you've developed in the previous phase, you should be in a better position to tolerate the the deceleration demands there. So I think it's always about using both gym-based and field-based athletic development um, uh, exercises to to create these athletes or to promote these characteristics that we want to see uh, from both a performance and injury risk uh, perspective. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Pacey Performance Bite Size. So if you want to listen to the full episode with Alistair and Tom, it is episode number 380, and you can find it on iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today and I look forward to talking to you soon.